The scripture reading this morning comes from James 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, James, he starts this passage with a question. The question's a simple one. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And it's interesting when you think about who he's talking to. Like, who is he directing this question to? And notice that he is not talking to people outside the church. He's talking to people within the church. Because he notices, whether he's personally experienced it or he has heard reports from these churches that he's ministering to, that there are some fighting going on. There's some quarreling going on. I heard a man one time share this story about his two kids were in the backyard and they were bickering and fussing and carrying on. And as it, it just continued to get louder, he finally peeked his head out the back door and said, Kids, what are you all doing? What are you fussing and carrying on about? He said, Dad, don't worry, we're just playing church. <laughs> so, well... And that's funny, but you know, and thankfully now, thankfully, for most churches, most of the time, that's not true. I mean, most churches, most of the time, you don't have this type of thing happening. But what we see, though, is that we are all susceptible to quarreling and fighting. You know, sometimes people say, you know what we need to do? We just need to get back to the early church, what the early church was all about, what they were doing. And then as you read the New Testament, you think, well... I wouldn't mind going back to some of those same practices, but not all of them, right? I mean, the, the early church was messed up. Just like we can be messed up, right? Because we, you know why the early church was messed up? Because the early church was made up of people just like me and you. <laughs> That's the problem. There's something going on that we all deal with, and if it's left unchecked, it causes this type of destruction, this dysfunction, it was the same in the first century, and it's the same today because it's a human condition that we're dealing with that James is addressing. So what causes this dysfunction? Why are they having these quarrels and these fights within the church? Well, he gives you the answer in a rhetorical question. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And the word passion there he uses is where we get the word hedonism. 
And the, the idea of hedonism is that uh, it's the belief that pleasure is the supreme goal of life. In other words, the supreme goal of my life is to try to get as much pleasure out of it as I possibly, as I possibly can. That's, that's a hedonist. And he's saying these types of desires, these very self-centered desires, are at war within every human heart, even the heart of the believer. And he says that this word war here, that these passions are at war within us. And this word for war means, um, it's this idea of leading soldiers into battle. And so what you see here is James has this picture of these passions. They're like an army seeking to take over territory. And that territory is your life. And these are within every heart. You know, this past week, I watched the movie, The Darkest Hour. Some of you may have seen this movie. Uh, but The Darkest Hour, the movie picks up when Winston Churchill became the Prime Minister of England uh, in the midst of World War II, as World War II was, was breaking out uh, toward the beginning of World War II. And the whole movie only covers like the first month of his reign as the prime minister, as Churchill's first month in in office. And in that month, several amazing things happened. I won't spoil the movie for you, but I do want to share one scene that I think illustrates what James is getting at here. You know, Germany is marching on France. So France is about to fall. England's troops are trapped at Dunkirk with, it doesn't seem like any way to escape. They're backed up to the sea. The United States has not entered the war yet, so we're not providing any help to England. And so Churchill has a very difficult decision to make. You know, his, his army's trapped. France is falling. The U.S. is not in the war yet, so he doesn't have our help. Uh, and he has a choice to make. Really, two main, major choices. Do we fight Hitler against overwhelming odds... And if things continue like they're going, England will probably fall and be completely demolished. Or do we seek to broker peace with Hitler in hopes of trying to preserve some semblance of England? And this was in, you know, days, weeks of his time being in office. He has to make this weighty decision. Can you imagine the weight of that decision because his decision is not only going to affect him and his family, but his decision is going to affect the whole country of England and in the world. The weight of that decision, I can't imagine how hard it was for him to make that decision. And James says, you know, there's this type of war going on in our lives as well. This war for a decision. And this decision that we make affects not only us, but those around us as well. He says, your, your passions are marching on your soul and seeking to destroy you and destroy those around you. These passions that are unbridled, that are contrary to the will of God, they are marching on your life. And at the same time, for those who are in Christ, we have the Spirit of God within us, empowering us to remain free and follow and seek after the will of, of God and control our passions. So we have this battle going on within us. And the question is, which way are you going to go? What decision are you going to make? Are you going to try to broker terms with your passions? Or are you going to seek to submit them to the will of God? 
James goes on to say what happens when we allow our passions to take over and run our lives. James says in verses 2 through 4, he says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now again, he's talking to the church. (laughs) And I don't know if he's talking figuratively here, but he's saying, Hey, somebody may have gotten murdered here in the church because you've allowed your passions to run away with you. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And it's full of envy, jealousy. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if you allow your passions to run your life, what James is saying is you lead, it leads you to a place of destruction. It'll, your passions will destroy you. It will destroy your relationships with other people. You see it murder, coveting, jealousy, envy, fighting. But also your unbridled passions will destroy your relationship with God. Will lead you away from God. Look what he says. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, you stop praying. You stop praying. So I wonder, you know, how is your prayer life? It's amazing how you can look at your prayer life and that's kind of a, a barometer of your relationship with the Lord. He's saying if you allow your passions to run away with you, you stop praying. So I wonder if you stop praying, are you, are you just going through life in your own strength? If so, you may be given in to your passions instead of submitting to the will of God. And then he says, well, when you do pray... You don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, your passions lead you deeper and deeper into self-centeredness. Where it just becomes all about you. It's not about the Lord. It's not about what God wants. It's not about how I can bless others. It's all about me. And so our passions left to ourselves, if left to themselves, will seek to find pleasure apart from the will of God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul counsels Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. Listen to what he says to him. He says, Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And let me tell you why. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Listen to this. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. And so what we see is there is is a path that is paved with self-centeredness that leads to destruction. And then there is a path that is paved by God's word that leads to life. And so the question is, you know, which path are you on? Are you allowing your life to be driven by your passions? Or are you allowing your life to be directed by the Word of God? And which path do you want to be on? I mean, that's important, isn't it? Which, which, which way do you want to go? Do you want to submit your pleasures, your desires to the will of God? Or do you want to just seek a self-centered manner of living? You know, there were some Christians on this, on this self-centered path 
in James's day. And he's trying to confront them, help them recognize where they're going, and call them back to the Lord. Help them get back on the right track with God. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. You know, are you on the right track with God? Or are you going your own way? I mean, there are those in the church in the first century, they're going their own way. And James is trying to call them back, to bring them back to the Lord, to walk with the Lord. You know, maybe in your life you see fighting, you see quarreling, envy, jealousy, pride, prayerlessness. And these are all symptoms of allowing your passions to drive your life. This was a powerful statement he makes here, too. He says, perhaps you've committed adultery against God. That's a strong way of saying it, right? But we read in the Bible that if you're in Christ, you're the bride of Christ. And when we sin, when we decide to follow someone else and give ourselves to someone else other than the Lord, we commit adultery against God. And that really speaks to the seriousness of sin. We are the people of God, and yet we still have the capacity and ability to commit adultery against God. Because there's something with the human condition, there's something in our hearts, even the hearts that have been redeemed by Christ, there's still that tendency of ours to go our own way and not to submit to the Lord. So, how do we get back on track? Once we find ourselves in that place, how do we get back on track with the Lord? I love the anthem the choir sang. Thank God we serve a God of grace, right? Where would we be without grace, amazing grace? And thankfully we do serve a God of grace. And James says in verses 5 and 6, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. I know this is a different verse to translate. and Some translations take a different slant on it. But the gist is, God wants you back on track. He wants you back on track with him. He wants you to subdue your passions and follow Jesus. And then in verse 6, look what he says. What does he say? But he gives more grace. Don't miss that. He gives more grace. Greater grace. Stronger grace. No matter how far you have fallen from God, God's gracious arm can reach down to where you are and put you back on track. That's what He's saying. He gives more grace. Greater, stronger grace. It's greater than our sin. Listen to this. It's stronger than your strength. You can't do it alone. You can't do it on your own. His grace is stronger than our strength and is able to lift us up. And then James says this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the way we get back on track is we recognize that we are in need of God's grace. And we must, and this is our role, we must humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves. God gives grace and more grace to the humble but he opposes the proud. So for those of us in Christ, God has given us all that we need to walk with him, to follow Jesus. His grace is greater. We're no longer slaves to sin. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, 12. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteous, unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been, bought, have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness or for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So if you're in Christ, you've been brought from death to life. You have been enabled now to present the members of your body for righteousness, not unrighteousness. In other words, you're not a slave to sin. You don't have to follow the devil. You don't have to give in to your passions. God gives you the ability through His Spirit to now follow Him, to submit to Him. But we must respond by humbling ourselves. And James tells us how to do it very specifically in verses 7-10. through 10. And he just kind of gives you the bullet list. Bam, 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 bam. How do you humble yourself? Bam, 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 bam. He just gives it to you right here. So you ready? Let's go through it. Verse 7. First he says we must submit ourselves to God. You need to bow the knee. Take down the, the flag of pride. Raise the white flag of surrender. You have to submit. If you're going to humble yourself. Get back on track with God. You have to submit yourself to God in every area of your life. Second, he says we must resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, stop playing with sin and start fighting against sin. The devil can only tempt you. That's all he can do. He can't make you sin. He can only tempt you. He can only present the lie, but only you can choose whether to either receive it or resist it. And James says you need to start to do more resisting than receiving. And James says when you do, the devil will flee from you. So with God's help, you can win the battle. You can get back on track with God. Third, he says, we must draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You need to get on your knees again. You need to read the Bible again. You need to begin to pray again. You need to gather with God's people again. You need to be involved in God's mission again. And this is how we draw near to God. And James says God is always willing to draw near to us. I don't know if you watched uh, the memorial service for Billy Graham. I know you can go back and watch it on, on the internet. I'm sure there's video there you can watch or read about it. But I tell you, one of the most touching stories came from one of his children. You know, Billy Graham had four children, two sons, two daughters. And um, after his oldest daughter, Ann, sat down, his younger daughter, Ruth, got up to share a story that really touched my heart. And uh, the story Ruth tells is about an encounter she had with her dad later in life. She shares that her and her husband divorced after 21 years of marriage. And um, it's a really rough time in her life, and so she decided to move closer to her sister Anne and her family and go to a good church that they were going to. And while she was going to this church, she was introduced to a, a gentleman uh, that had recently lost his wife. And so they began to date and uh, the relationship moved very fast. And against the counsel of her children and her parents, she married this man. And it says, uh, she says that five weeks into the marriage, she, she knew. Actually, she said the next day, she knew she had made a big mistake. She didn't listen to her parents, she didn't listen to her children. Uh, take that counsel and she made a big mistake. Well, five weeks later, she left uh, out of fear of this man. 
and made her way back to her parents' home in North Carolina, the mountains of North Carolina. And you know, her, her uh, parents lived on the side of a mountain, and so she made her way back and, um, on this two-day drive. And she drove up those winding roads thinking about how would she be received by her parents after all she has done. And she said that, you know, a daughter never wants to disappoint her father. But she said, especially if your father's Billy Graham. <laughs> and so she's wrestling with how she's going to be received. And as she made her way up the drive, she saw her father outside waiting for her. She says she pulled up. And she got out of the car. And he wrapped her, his arms around her and said, welcome home. And this, this, was, this was great. She, she went on to say, she said, you know, my father was not God. But he showed me what God was like that day. And I think that's what James is saying. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Fourth, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Now, James is just straightforward. He's not candy coating anything. He's just telling you how it is. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, he's saying, you know, do whatever you need to do to be devoted to God. Cleanse your hands. This means you need to maybe get rid of some things that you've been holding, that you've been playing around with, that you've been doing. This may mean you need to cancel some television stations that you may frequent. Or you may need to cancel television altogether. You may need to stop hanging around certain people and start hanging around those who will help you walk with God. This may mean you need to put a filter on your internet. Get an accountability partner. This may mean you need to stop chatting with certain people in those chat rooms or on social media. Cleanse your hands means let's get rid of the things that we're messing around with. Let's get the dirt off the hands. And then purify our, purify our hearts means to set our focus solely on the Lord and His will for our lives. So in other words, let's stop trying to play both sides and just commit. Commit to the Lord that I want to follow you. Fifth, he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And James is basically saying, you know, this isn't a game. Yes, God loves you. Yes, your sins are forgiven in Christ. But when you become aware of the seriousness of sin, you should mourn the fact that you were so quick to turn from God. Listen to Lamentations 5, 15 through 16. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. There is a place for weeping and mourning over sin. And we've become so desensitized. I know I have. I've become desensitized to my sin. You find that you're no longer confessing your sin. We need soft hearts and sensitive consciences. And we need to take sin seriously. And finally, James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you.
You know, as we humble ourselves by the grace of God, James says God will put us back on track. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news that God is full of grace, that He can put us back on track. He will exalt you. Now, you think about getting back on track. You want to hear a simple prayer of humility that might help you begin to get back on track with God? This is a simple prayer by a, a 17th century Puritan, English Puritan named Richard Baxter. And maybe this short prayer will help you get back on track with God. He says, Lord, what you will, where you will, and when you will. Will you make that your prayer this morning? He says, Lord, what you will, whatever you want me to do, Lord. I'm willing to do it. He says, where you will, wherever you want me to go or not go, I'll do it. And when you will. Whenever you want me to speak, whenever you want me to be quiet, whenever you want me to obey, follow you, I'm willing to do it. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? But He gives more grace. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And He will exalt you. God's grace is greater than our passions. None of us is beyond His reach. But we have to humble ourselves. And grab hold of His hand. And follow Him. Let us pray. Father, thank You for this Word. Thank You that it speaks truth to our condition. Even those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we still battle with our passions. We still battle with our sinful nature that wants to go its own way. Lord, this morning we humble ourselves. We submit to You. Lord, we desire to draw near to You. Lord, help us to see things that we need to cleanse from our lives. Just... Get rid of them. Help us to be single-minded. Help us to see the seriousness of our sin. And remind us of Your grace. And Lord, we're so thankful that You you, You freely give Your grace to us because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, help us to get back on track with You today. In Jesus' name, Amen.